welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. Today is going to be a good one. I'm not going to do the normal, the normal intro. Um, I've gotten some some great feedback from you guys recently. I was almost going to do uh, a little mini episode about the lessons that I learned from uh, my one star review. I got a one star review the other day, and it said this guy uses the word usually or often so many times apparently i did a podcast episode this he whoever this reviewer was left a review and and said that i used the word often far too often uh, or usually far too often and i got a good chuckle out of that because i was like man if you got feedback just tell me no so for anybody that's out there if you think that i could improve the way that i do these interviews Look, I would love to hear from you. Hit me up on Instagram, write me at Man Talks and tell me how you think I could improve my interviewing skills. Here's the thing that I think far too few people really uh, are aware of when it comes to these types of platforms. People want to get better, right? I don't do this just for shits and giggles. Uh, because I like to, the sound of my own voice. Like I want to do this to produce exceptional content. So if you think that there's things that I do that irritate the hell out of you and you want to let me know, hit me up on at on Instagram at Man Talks. I want to know. Give me your feedback. Right. That's the way that we grow and and develop. But far too often we've created this culture where people are afraid to directly give other people feedback. And I don't want my listeners to be afraid to give me direct feedback or wait to give me a review, uh, you know, a one-star review because I, you know, say often too often or usually too often, hit me up, let me know. Also, if you have some positive feedback, I would love to know that too. (laughs) Sometimes I get some great messages from people saying, hey, your podcast has changed my life and um, I appreciate those. It's the reason why I do this. You know, this podcast costs me a lot of money to run every single uh, week and uh, every single month and I do it because I love it. And so if this podcast has positively impacted you, if there's something that I do that is great on this show that you love, um, some of you have written me before and said, hey, I love the defining moment question that you ask at the beginning of every interview. So stuff like that, let me know what you love, let me know what I can improve on, I want to hear from you. So moving forward, uh, joining me today is Mr. Brian Stacy, and he's an acquaintance of mine. He's the co-founder of a company called Beam, B-I-E-M, and it is a sexual health app and application and platform, and it is meant to help people um, kind of de-shame sex, but also it's mostly uh, about our sexual health and how we interact with our sexual health. A lot of people don't go get tested for things like STDs or testicular cancer or uh, ovarian cancer and stuff like that when we and we wait and delay and whatnot and it can cause very serious issues and so as Brian shares his story he actually talks about how he uh, at the age of 30 got testicular cancer and so he talks about his you know journey his challenge um, of not only having testicular cancer but losing one of his testicles to cancer and we talk extensively about sexual health and we talk a lot actually about the penis and we talk a lot about how our dicks to you know just be a little crass but we talk about how our dicks basically can sometimes run the show or dictate how <laughs> dictate dictate how we do things that's the 15 year old boy in me clearly giggling at <laughs> the word dictate uh, and we talk extensively about these parts of ourselves that are there that we maybe don't often think about. But the reality is, is that, you know, our penises are called our second brains for a reason, right? Because many guys follow not, you know, not, we're not too can We don't follow our nose. We, we follow our penis and that can lead some of us into a good amount of trouble. Uh, so we talk about that and we talk about the power of the penis. And this is a very fun funny, comical, humorous um, episode, but it is laced with truth and laced with some very interesting insight. So I hope that you enjoy this. Uh, Definitely check out the work that Brian is doing. He's a great guy here in New York City. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, then let me know, hit me up. If you want to have more conversations like these, uh, then, then definitely let me know. I've been getting some great feedback from you guys late, so I appreciate that. 
Uh, don't forget to leave a rating and review. Uh, <laughs> I say that with some obvious trepidation. Uh, but don't don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Share, subscribe. Please subscribe. It goes a long, long way. I don't want you to miss any episodes. And if you have some guests that you want to hear on the show, definitely hit me up. I will do my best to get them on the show. So without any further delay or ado, please welcome Mr. Brian Stacy. I am pumped to be here. I've been a consumer for a long time. First time guest. I, lo- I love that. From consumer to guest. Uh, I feel like we have... Actually, we have a good amount of people that have been on the show that have been consumers first. So I, I kind of like that. I like that idea. Um, so we met a while ago at an event and I was intrigued, but with some of the work that you do and just your story and you're just a great guy to connect with. So I know this is going to be an awesome talk and uh, I'll, we'll, we'll get to all that in a minute, but I got to start with the question, uh, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Yeah, there's, there's, of course, I think in any man's life, there's several of these and different variations of them. Sometimes they hit us in the face like a feather and we may not notice it. And sometimes it's a two by four across the face that hurts a little bit. And sometimes it's a Mack truck (laughs) that runs us over and causes all kinds of collateral damage. And the story I have is certainly about the Mack truck. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but I grew up, I, I, well, I grew up in the Midwest, right? You grew up in Canada. I grew up in a household that was, I say, conservative in nature, religious in nature, Christian. And my, my grandfather was a pastor, a great mentor of mine. Uh, but sex is not really something that we talked about a whole lot. Shocking. Did you, did right. you, get, the, uh, did you get the book? Did you get a book when you were a kid? Like my, no. my parents gave me a book. There are already 10 levels ahead oh, of man. my parents. I, got, I yeah. got this picture book, and it was an, an, uh, an anatomy book. Mm, biology. That taught nothing about, sexier, yeah, nothing like biology. sexier than, than biology. Just like a little yeah. you know, 10-year-old kid looking at a biology book being like, where, like, where does the penis go? Like, what do I actually, what happens with that? Anyways, continue. Yeah, the first, the, first, the first illustration I remember seeing in any kind of a sex ed class is probably like fourth or fifth grade yeah. was a drawing of a penis that had a foreskin on it. Now I'm circumcised, yeah. but I didn't know, I didn't know there was another option. <laughs> and so I was like, what is that? And why don't I have it? You see in, in Canada, we call that toque or no toque. Toque. Yeah. I, I like that better. Well, that's just, that's another word for like the, I think you guys call it a beanie here, right? Uh, like a yes. warm, like the warm hat that you wear in yes, winter. Beanie. In Canada, we call it toque. That's the French word for toque. it. And so I, either your dick has a toque or no toque. No toque. Yeah. And at the, fourth, at the age of fourth grade, I didn't know what a toque or toque was not. I just, <laughs> all I knew it was my dick. I yeah. had a lot of basis for comparison. So, so I didn't, I didn't get a chat very much with, with my parents about sex or sexual health. All I knew was based on do you remember a band called Boys to Men? Oh man, I love Boys to Men. What Boys to Men, right? Yeah, like, great. ABC BBD. You got it. Yep. And then their other really popular song from Boys to Men Two was "I'll Make Love to You." Yep. Right. So if you know the lyrics, like "I'll make love to you, <laughs> like you want me to," right? And so my mom was cool because she let me play the CD. I went to Lutheran grade school, and so we're going from school to home, and she let me play the CD in the in the in the car. And so I'm listening to Boys and Men, and he, this was my sex ed. So Boys and Men would come on, I'll make love to you. My mom would say, after you're married, like <laughs> you want me to, after you're married, right? Like, so oh my God. Ad lib. <laughs> so the only thing I really knew about intimacy and sex is that it wasn't for me. Yeah. It wasn't for uh, anybody that wasn't married. You know, and a common story I think people also have is they're watching a PG-13 movie when they're young. And this is my case as well. I'm watching the movie and somebody goes to kiss and my dad's like, cover your eyes. <laughs> I cover my eyes and peek between the fingers and I watch somebody oh, kiss. Oh, man. And so without any kind of other education, like like I filled in the blanks like any, any other kid would. Yeah. And so I went through, this is in through high school now and I'm into college and I found something in college that made all this anxiousness go away simply alcohol mm. so i didn't have to think i found alcohol i could use that to get out of my head now all of this that i'm talking about right now connor is in retrospect yeah i didn't know this was happening at the point in time it was happening but in college i find alcohol and all of a sudden now i can go to a bar i can go talk to a woman i can have sex and not really be worried about like all the uh, ramifications and shame and that came along with that yep and afterwards, I was drunk, like she can go home, like that was it. And that's how I operated. I operated for that for from the ages of, you know, call it 18 to 30-ish. And so what happened? Like, what was this shift? And so for me, if you would have asked like 28-year-old Brian, 
how things are going, he probably would have said pretty fucking good. Yeah. Like bachelor parties in happy hours. Great. Frat parties. Frat parties. Perfect. (laughs) Anywhere I could like lose that edge, lose those, the, the worry about the conversation or worry about performing in sex. Yeah. Was great. And so at the age of 30, what happened is all of a sudden I started to feel a pain in my left testicle. Mm. And I did what a lot of guys do, which is nothing. Of course, I worried about it. I was like, ooh, what is this? It'll probably go away. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe I hit my nut on a table when I was walking by. Like, who knows? <laughs> Sometimes our nuts hurt. You like hit it while you're sleeping. Sleeping. You don't know. I masturbated too hard. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? I think that's called ferociously masturbating. <laughs> yes. I think that's the, I think that's the, that's the uh, clinical term for it. <laughs> that's the term. Ferociously masturbated. <laughs> oh. So this I'm hoping is, this is going to be like some. I think I feel like some of my listeners are going to be like, "What is happening right now?" I, yeah, why are they talking it. about this uh, stuff? I this think that insane. I think hopefully the title you know gave some warning to this, which I haven't made up yet, but yeah. I think it'll probably give some warning. Maybe it starts with NSFW, right? Know, not it's, it's not safe for work. Dick talks, right? <laughs> Tuke or no Tuke? Yeah, Tuke or no Tuke. People are like, "What the hell is this about? What is going on?" Okay, so so, so here I'm here with a painful nut. And it and, took me. And just just to have some context, was it constant? Did it show up once in a while? Like, what was your experience in that? Because I think here's here's the deal, and, and the reason why I asked that question is that I think, you know, we see things like Movember that are these big pushes for men to go get you know prostates checked and have their testicles checked for testicle cancer and stuff like that. And most guys don't take it seriously, but they also don't really know what to look for. And so I think you know, first off, I just appreciate you sharing your experience because that's. Uh, hugely helpful so intermittent constant like what what was your experience the pain i was feeling was intermittent and a dull ache Mm. dull pain i noticed it more when i was moving or i was sitting um if i would as it got towards the end of the like my waiting period let's call it uh i if i touched it it would be that dull pain would intensify yeah um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like super obvious. And one thing I did start to notice that was one of the indicators for me to like actually have a conversation with someone is when I felt my nut, mm. I felt the consistency and the hardness of it change. You know how it's kind of like spongy and it's yep. got some sort of texture to it. All of a sudden I started to feel smooth and more dense. Mm. And so finally, when I started to feel that I decided that one of my, one of my best friends was a urologist. And so I reached out to him. And at the time I was putting my, I was working as a, as a consultant at the FBI. I was helping them put their leadership development program together. And I love the job. So I'm putting on my suit. I'm getting ready to go into work. And I call my friend. I'm like, Hey man, I got, I got this thing, this thing with my nut. And he's like, you need to go to the hospital right now. Hmm. I said, I don't, I've, I've had it for a while. I think I'm gonna be just fine. I'm going into work. Like I'll take care of this later. And so even on the phone with a doctor after three months, I was still putting this thing off. I was avoiding it altogether. And so he got me in touch with his buddy, who's a urologist in DC is where I was living. And I went in that day and I was diagnosed with both testicular cancer and chlamydia on the same day mm. at the age of 30. And at the age of 30, I had never been tested for STDs before. Mm. And so the chlamydia thing, I was like, all right, like, I guess I got to take a few pills. Like, I wonder who else has that now. Yeah. But the trump card was the cancer. And I started to ask myself all these existential questions that I never would have asked myself before. Mm. Like one, am I going to die? What's my survival survival rate? Could I die from this? Can I still perform? I mean, most of my identity at that point in time was like, yeah, I was working at Accenture. I was doing the FBI thing. That was fun. But like most of my identity and my fun and my pleasure time and extracurriculars were related around my dick Yeah, in some way, shape or form. Mm. And so now I'm like, can I still perform? What are women going to think of me? When I, when I only have one nut and the doctor told me he's going to take my nut out. I'm like, can't you just like take a piece of it out? Like, no, the whole thing comes out. And so, I mean, that must be jarring. Jarring. That must be they're like- the family <laughs> jewels. I mean, they're yeah. nut- people say nuts or balls, not nut or ball. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was like a bit of my manhood being taken away. And so I started to ask myself all these questions and, and still, when I went through chemotherapy, so I had this surgery that removed the nut. I had to go through chemotherapy to make sure it doesn't come back. And I didn't want to talk to family members and friends and colleagues about this. So I ended up writing a blog about it. So I figured that way I could just point them to the blog. I could write about it and like not have conversations. <laughs> you guys can go read this. You can learn about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so I did. I wrote this blog called One Big Nut. And 
at the time, uh, that's why I wrote it. It wasn't altruistic reasons to, or like, I'm going to spread <laughs> the news of like, check your nuts. That wasn't my thing. I was not an advocate at all. Yeah. I was avoiding the conversation. And what happened is a lot of people read that. And a lot of people, <laughs> the opposite thing happened. They started reaching out to me. And what was really cool about it is I started to hear the stories, the other stories of other guys yeah. that were in somewhat similar sexual health con- situations. Yeah. And I said, holy shit, I'm not the only one. What? So that that was just a, to wrap to wrap that piece of it up. It was that moment, yeah, that I started to look inward and said, "Wait a second, like this maybe isn't totally working for me." What were some of the? I mean, you know, there's probably so many challenges that come along with that, and I would imagine that there's also identity shifts that come along with that. And you know, you you talked about a few things there that I think stood out for me, which was performance, and then. Just how sex related to your identity and and valuation, I guess. You know, I think a lot of men put a lot of a lot of pressure on themselves, specifically in their twenties and and maybe even into their early thirties. But for most of our lives, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform sexually. So, having gone through that, what were some of the questions that you started to grapple with, and how did your perspective or identity of yourself actually start to change? I would I would love to answer that question like I got it like I had it figured out right away after this <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or that I currently have it figured out. Yeah. But I think I, I'm certainly someone that's been on the journey and, ha- and has thought about this a lot. Yeah. One indicator for me, and this is just a few years back, is I was at a, uh, a live podcast interview or panel interview for Briny Cole, who runs the Future of Sex podcast. Mm. And one of her guests, I was the audience member just listening. One of her guests was talking about a sex party. And I've never been to a sex party. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, a sex party. And somebody asked a question to the panel, like what kind of drugs and alcohol are typically involved in a sex party? Mm-hmm. And the person said on the panel, she said, actually, we don't serve any alcohol and we don't allow drugs in there because there's a lot of consent-based things that are happening yeah. when it comes to sex. And I remember in that moment, I was terrified. I was like, I will never go to a sex party. <laughs> like thinking about me naked walking around with a bunch of other people, like and maybe not, I'm hard. And not inebriated. Good? Yeah. And not inebriated. And, and like, you know, maybe, yeah, like that, that terrified me. And I said, well, why does that scare me? And I started to think back, like when the question I asked myself at that point was like, why is it so uncomfortable for me? Like being in a sober environment like that. Mm. And then two, I looked at my patterns and my histories and said, well, when, when's the last time I had sex with a new partner for the first time sober? Mm. And when I asked myself that, I had to go back to high school and the person I lost my virginity to. Because mm. every single person since then, like alcohol has been involved and not just like a drink or two. And so I realized that I had a lot of uncomfortability and like my performance, to get back to your question, my performance was related to being comfortable through the numbing of my emotions and anxieties and everything else with alcohol. Mm. And so I, I think, I think the, the, the word performance, and I know that's all, the word we all use is wild. Like yeah. the fact that we use a performance like is, is got so many ramifications to it. But I think the thing for me is that two things. One, women also want to have sex. That's wild. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it, hopefully that's not a spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, I hope not. Like, I, I think, I think more and more we're seeing this, especially, you know, now in the last decade, we're seeing this sort of like liberation of women, but they're, and in the last few decades, but their sexuality is really starting to come forward. And, uh, you know, the work that Vienna and, and I have done in, with couples, it's really interesting to see how a relationship shifts when a woman actually does start to step into her sexual prowess and like be able to own her sexuality and her sexual needs and like actually claim those and say, actually, here's what I want to do in the bedroom. Here's what I want to experience rather than I'm just here to serve you or, you know, have sex. And how with hot you. is that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. I, like I looked at sex as a as an act, in a hunting activity. Yeah. <laughs> right. To yeah. go out there and find the person and convince them that I'm the person that they should have sex with, at least at that moment. Yeah. Right. And then of course there's gonna be performance anxiety because it's all about like taking and doing and, and like like my thing. Yeah. And I think that's been the biggest shift is recognizing that wait a second like if you kind of if you would have asked me before like when is when do you have sex the best mm. i would have said the very first time we have sex because after that like the hunt is over 
Mm. I already got it. I already won. Yeah. And these are all performance words. Yeah. Right. I already won. And so what I noticed is that over when I dated several women for a six to eight months period, period of time, right around that six month period, the sex would go down. So the first time was the best. The second time was the second best. The third time was the mm. third best. And it progressively got worse. And when I realized I had this mental shift of like my comfortability with sex and like and connection and understanding that like women want this too. And they want this to be a great experience. And it's really hot when they do that. Like now I look at it as the first time I have sex with a new partner is the worst time. Because mm. <laughs> like, we haven't figured each other out. We don't know what each other want. We can totally. talk about it. But until you get in the pool, you're not really swimming. Yeah. Right. And so now I look at like the last time was our best time. And the next time will be like even better. Yeah. And, and that was the mental shift for me is that this isn't a performance. Silly things happen during sex. And <laughs> I feel like that's a show unto itself. Like, oh. like, like silly shit during sex. That should be a podcast. If oh. you're out there listening and you, and you really are courageous and you want to start a podcast. There you go. Silly shit. And I've got no less than 50 sex. stories for that. So yeah, yeah. I'm happy to be on your podcast. I think most, most of us do, but it's, it's funny, right? Because when we think about performance during sex, I almost get the visual did you ever watch what was that BBC show with David Attenborough, Planet Earth? Did you ever watch Planet Earth? I did not. Oh man, there's this one scene in Planet Earth. Uh, hopefully, some of the listeners—I'm sure that some of the listeners have watched it. If you haven't, go watch Planet Earth. Uh, but there's this one scene where there's like this really colorful bird, and he, and it's a male bird, and he is like setting up this whole nest area, waiting for the female, and then she arrives, and he does this like whole dance, and his like plumage is out, and he's like got this like whole thing, and it is an actual performance, and I remember it's a whole performance. It goes on for like an hour or something like that, and I remember watching that, and I was like, holy shit, like that's what we do. You know, that's like exactly what Completely. we do. There's, there's like this whole performance, but we, we sort of miss out oftentimes on the depth of intimacy that's possible within sex, um, mostly because we're caught in this like performance-based mindset. And so, okay, so that shifted. I, I think that's that gives me some good context. Um, what do you feel like guys really struggle with in terms of narratives around sex and intimacy. You, you mentioned like the, the context uh, the, of what you went through when you were a kid and you know, cover your eyes, don't look. What are some of the things that infringe on our ability as men to really come into our own sexual nature and, and claiming our own uh, sexuality? I think, I think one is, one is a limited belief in that our, our sexuality as men is singular. Mm. It is simply, we get in there, we do our thing and we come. And what I've learned just over the past several years is that it can be so much more than like just the big O. Mm -hmm. like if you would have told me, my friend Max Stossel, who I think has been on this podcast. He has, yeah. He's got a great uh, uh, poem on porn mm. and his entry into it, what he learned from porn. And one thing he says in that poem, he's like, if you would have told me several years ago, that breathing with my clothes on with a woman could be hot. Like I would have laughed you off heartily. <laughs> I think he actually, I asked him to be on the show. I think he, I think he did that for the, that, that poem, that spoken word for the oh, first time on the show. Oh, it's a great, yeah. Like, go back to that episode, whatever it is. It's one of my, like, I know Max, he's a friend of mine. And I think he's one of the best poets around because his stuff to speak. And that one in particular, I was like, yes, 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 yes. That's it. That's it. It was, it was so legit. Good. It was real. So Max Stossel, I don't remember what episode it is, but you can find it. We'll put it in the show notes for you to check out. And I believe the poem is at the very end of the podcast, just to give some context. Yeah. And so I think that the piece on that then is, okay, if it can be so much more, then what is it? How do I get skilled up? Like we read books all the time about financial success, about physical like body success. And very seldom do we look at like relationship or even our own sexuality. I don't know a lot of guys that are reading books like that. Yeah. And there's one in particular, um, there's uh, sex related is the multi-orgasmic man. Yep. And when I read that, I was like, what? I can yep. separate my orgasm from ejaculation. Like this is insane. <laughs> like, how is not every guy taught this? <laughs> and it's made sex so much more exciting and so less performance based. Yeah. So I think the first thing is just simply like, it's more than just the big O it's more than you're getting off. Yeah. Uh, and, and it can be a lot of fun, I promise, <laughs> like a lot of fun. Uh, and number two is, and this is big, uh, being in the sexual health space, is we can ask. I feel like with performances, you can't ask. Like the actor isn't asking the audience what they want. Yeah. And I think for us, like, we can ask. We can ask what a woman wants because guess what? They're all different. Yeah. And they change by the minute. And that's okay. 
So ask what they want yeah. and like let our ego go. And so like, I think the, the overall answer is like, this is so much easier yeah. than we're making it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> ask the question. You'd be shocked what happens. Yeah. So good. So good. I love it. I love the, uh, it can be so much easier than we're making it. And I think that's so true. Okay. So you went through this experience. I think it, you know, it sounds like it shaped a, a good amount of, of your, you know, shift came after this some of this awareness that you started to you know, wake up to your your own traits your, your own behaviors how you were showing up in relationships how did your relationship to women change after that i know that's kind of like a analogous but like very big question mm. but how did your relationship to women start to evolve after that i think i started to appreciate the real differences between the masculine and feminine for the first time and i started to learn and understand the wisdom that women bring into situations. And I think even in my job, even in my work, I would try to fit them into this, what I'm now recognizing as a more masculine structure. Yeah. And structure is probably the right word to, to use there. Instead of sitting back and going a little slower and like, and feeling and understanding that the tuition that they do have, I think that's just, that's just one of many that, that comes to, comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible. I, I mean, I think that's such a good, good awareness. Um, okay. So let's move forward just a little bit. I think that that uh, experience, what would you actually, let's one more question. What would you go back in and not necessarily do differently, but what do you wish most men actually knew about this? Because, uh, you know, I hear these stories all the time, guys reaching out through Instagram or on Facebook, and there are, you know, many similar stories, not the exact same as yours, but similar stories with guys, um, mental or physical or emotional health where they've waited too long. And Mm. I think a good analogy to this is like statistically, Vienna said this the other day and it really shocked me, but statistically couples wait four years too long to go to couples therapy. Wow. Four years. That's, that's right. So like married couples, like we really wait, like we have this like waiting tendency. And I think a big part of it is that we are so afraid sometimes of what we already know to be true mm. that we don't want it confirmed, right? <laughs> that's the confirmation that's, bias. That's yes. But you know, what, what would you say to guys that are listening to this in terms of not, not, not from a space of like preaching, cause I don't think you can do that, but, but what do you wish that guys knew about mental, emotional and physical health now before it's too late? I, I think we're, we're taught our entire lives, all the studies that we do in high school and college, and we really leave this, the relationship up to the ethers. Mm. And the thing that I was never taught except a little bit, and this is, I mean, a little bit through religion. But it's this idea of a lot of what you talk about, Connor, which is like doing the inner work. Yeah. Which again, I would have thought that that was kind of a joke. But what that has allowed me to do in my life is to understand like, what is my purpose? And like, why am I spending so much energy on this other thing? This other thing called sex and women and trying to get it. And then when I get it, like it's good for a moment and then it goes away and I don't want it so much. Like, like it's a never ending loop. And so I think the, the thing that I want guys to know the most is like, one, like you do, my fundamental belief is that you do have a purpose here, a very specific personal purpose to you that you're going to change the world in some way, shape or form. And two is like, don't worry about finding out what that purpose is. Like it will come to you. Just, just continue to learn who you are and all those other things that you want, women and money and that it will come to you. Promise. Like guaranteed it will come to you. And like this thing we call inner work, a lot of the stuff that you talk about is the starting place for that. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that until four years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. I, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause like I grew up in Alberta, central Alberta, which is like the Texas of Canada. If you would have told me at the age of like 20 or even 23 or 24, that the sort of keys to the purpose car, right. Were in self-exploration and self-understanding and self-awareness specifically to to really see how we're operating, I would have laughed. I'd have been like, oh, that's such bullshit. You know, it's such garbage. And I'm always fascinated by this because a lot of people, when I'm on other people's podcasts, are like, well, how do we get certain types of men to wake up? How do we, you know, guide them down that path to have the conversations that they that we all know that they need to have? I'm like, well, you know, some guys like actually need the baseball bat from life to the head right? They need to hit the rock bottom. And 
they need to hit the rock bottom because that's what they've told themselves, mm. right? That's what they've told themselves. That's what certain men in their life have told them that you learn from rock bottoms and it's the only way that you're going to learn. I think for a lot of us, part of, you know, part of my intention with this podcast has always been, you actually don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You can challenge that belief, right? I had, I had that belief and I did bottom out. And afterwards I was like, oh shit, I didn't actually need to do that, but I believed that I did. And so totally that's exactly what happened. Yes. Right. It's like, I believe that I needed to rock bottom out and I saw the train coming and I just kept, I just kept standing there. Going. <laughs> I just kept standing there. I was like, the train's coming. I'm going to hit rock bottom. That's what I'm going to do. Oftentimes, no one tells us you actually don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. There are different ways. You can go and do a men's weekend. You can go and work with somebody. You can start to, you know, uh, look at yourself in a different way. And so I love what you're saying because I think that's so incredibly important. I think the other thing that I want to ask is about, you know, de-shaming and, and de-stigmatizing sexuality. Mm -hmm. What type of, you know, now that you've been having these conversations for years, what would you say are some of the biggest shame points for men around sex and intimacy outside of like the obvious one, which is like, we need to perform? Yeah, I, I think there's two categories. There's one, what will guys admit to actually being like feeling shame about? Mm. And then the other one, which is like, <laughs> what are they actually feeling? Yeah, that's good. That's or, really good. Or what is in the subconscious of what they're feeling? Yeah, it's like, what are they willing to say? And what are they definitely not willing to say? Because there's like, right. there's like the embarrassing stories where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I think we've all had the stories. Maybe I won't make one up. But there's the embarrassing stories that a guy will tell that he feels ashamed about. And then there's like the stories that are like in his vault. You right. know, that like, are like, that's not going anywhere. Yeah, that shit's never coming out. Right. right? And so so that's a good distinction. So. How would you um, how would you differentiate the two, and what's the importance of us being like? What platforms do you guys bring those forward in? Mm -hmm. So the the first one, uh, what what do we what do we do? Like there's, there's we all have this private world and a public world, mm. right? and sometimes we'll let the, the the private seep into the public. And in that one, we we guys come up to us and they say, "Hey, like I'm married or I have a girlfriend, but like I get on the train." And I want to just, I want to see and grab every butt in the train. Yeah. Like, like that's just my thing. And I'm not going to do it, obviously, because that's wrong. I shouldn't do it, but I want that. Right. So there's like this, like this drive thing that they have. And there's some sort of shame and whatnot associated with that. Yeah. So like that's, I would say more on the, on the public side of things, like things that are people like, are willing to talk about. Things that people aren't usually willing to talk about is, is not just like what porn they watch. Like that's more surface level, but what watching that porn means about them. Yes. And wait, is this something that I, I want to go do now? Or is this just something that gets me off in the time period? Like, um, guys wonder about like, am I addicted to, to porn? Do I have some sort of porn or sex addiction? And like, if not, like, where am I at on the scale? And Dominic and I talk a lot, a lot about that in our podcast. Dominic went through four years of Sex Addicts Anonymous. Mm. Guys, guy, things guys won't talk about is like, I'm not enough. Like, my dick's not hard enough. It's not big enough. It's yeah. not enough. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, that's the stuff that they're thinking subconsciously, but would never say out loud. Yeah, I think that's where the internet searches come in. And I, sure. and I think that that's like, here's the dangerous part about this. And in, in my, in like my personal opinion, and you don't have to agree with this and the people that are listening to this don't have to agree with this, but in my personal opinion, that is the dangerous part of the internet is that in many, many, many ways, especially when it comes to porn, it is designed to prey on people's shame and the stuff that we normally wouldn't talk about to our partners uh, or to our friends it is designed for us to be able to find just a whole slew of answers, whether they're right or not, or helpful or not, or healing or not, or de-shaming or not, there are answers. And they might not be the right answers, but they will be an answer. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I see with a lot, specifically with a lot of guys when it comes to sex and sexuality is that, you know, we oftentimes have a culture around sex between men that is so performance based that the stories that we hear are oftentimes like the conquest based stories, right? You have, you stand with your buddies at the bar and they start talking about sex and all of a sudden like a conquest story happens. And we don't often talk about like the embarrassing stories. And it's funny because at my bachelor party, we did that. 
we actually, I, I, we went around the room and I was like, guys, I want you to tell like your, one of your most embarrassing I love, I love stories, this. one of your most yes. embarrassing sexual stories. And, and it was so interesting because you could see like the visceral reaction on like these 20 dudes who are like, why in the fuck would I do that? You know, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, this is, this is the stuff we don't talk about. That's like what we talk about on, on the uh, discerning dick events. Like this is like locker room talk. If we were all telling the truth. Yes. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> locker room talk. If we were all telling the yeah. truth. That's so good. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the slippery slope. The other thing that really stood out to me about what you're saying, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm, next week or the week after I'm interviewing a guy named Jay Stinger and he wrote a book called unwanted. And the whole thing is about how, how our past trauma or past wounding and family systems and abuse and abandonment and whatever creates a lot of our sexual fantasies that we look at in porn. And he has done a ton of research on this topic and really can, can tell you, uh, based on the type of porn that you watch, what type of experience or trauma you actually experienced as a kid. Wow. And so it's very indicative, right? So there actually is a very big correlation. What we're finding is, so there's a very big correlation between what you, what you watch in your porn and the type of trauma or abuse or abandonment or whatever. It might not even be abuse or abandonment. It might just be like the type of um, disconnection that you had or dysfunction that you had as a kid mm. with your parents and with your family. And so he's, he's coming on the show in a couple of weeks to talk about that. But what you're saying really resonated. So how do we start to bring, in your opinion, how do we start to bring some of these conversations forward as men in, you know, normal conversations? Because uh, I think that's one of the big challenges is like, Normally, we're we're not conditioned to be like, so I watched this type of porn the other day, or oh, I had this really horrible and embarrassing sexual situation happen with my wife and my partner. In the vault. Yeah. Right. So, like, how do how do guys start to bring that conversation forward? Yeah, you know, a, a problem that a lot of guys have, and even even guys here I know in New York, they're like, you know, I really struggle with Brian. I really struggle with having like deep relationships with other guys. And the 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 guys that are like halfway there are the ones that actually know that. The other ones are just blind to it all. And so what I say is like the, the, we have old friends and we have new friends and the depth of that friendship does not matter on time. What matters is the level of like, like God forbid this word, but like vulnerability, right? That's what you're, that's what we're really talking about in terms of like these stories that we're telling that are, that are true around our sexuality. And what I find is that guys that I've shared my story with now, it's easier for me. I've made this my life passion. And so I get on stages and I talk about testicular cancer and sexual health and all the ramifications that come with what we're talking about here. And at the same time, I've had this conversation with other guys who don't do this. And it's amazing the connection that we come to and the things that we learn from each other when I'm like, oh, dude, like I put a condom on the other day with a partner, like went soft and like didn't quite know what to do. He's like, oh, man, that's totally happened to me. And like I just sat there and I laughed about it and she laughed at me and then I got hard again and we had sex. I'm like, oh, like that's wild. <laughs> I should laugh. I should laugh. <laughs> so so therefore I should laugh. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. Notice how like the masculine masculine brain is like, oh, problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. You know, what's funny is that for months, uh, for months, probably for like the last year and a half, the top ranked the top ranked post on the mantalks.com website has been the real reason why you lose your erection when you put on a condom. That has been, Ooh. that has been, and it gets tens of thousands of views every single month, tens of thousands of views. And there's so many comments and like, it's very interesting because the whole article is, is a, mostly about like emotional disconnection and the pressure of performance and what the condom means and like all, all these other pieces, right? The constraint and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But um, it's very interesting that you, that you brought that up because clearly that's a perfect example of what guys would normally not talk about, but it's what we'll search for. Right. Yes, we will silently. Yes. We will silently. we will search for our shame, but we won't talk about it. Yeah. Right. And that's how the 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 my my friend that I do the Man Amongst Men podcast with and this, the live discerning dick event with, his name is Dominic Cortuccio. And how that how that started was really simple. We were getting together on Saturdays and just talking about all the dysfunctions as it pertains <laughs> to relationships and mostly sex, yeah. both in our past and in our history and, and, and current. And it didn't start out as anything other than we two guys thought this was like pretty interesting information. He happened to be a former sex addict. Yeah. I happened to be a guy that went through a traumatic sexual experience when it came to cancer and chlamydia. 
And so we started talking about this. And the more we talked about it, the more we found the same thing I found when I did the blog, mm. that other guys started to come to us and come out and have these conversations. And what's been really cool about this, Connor, is that we started this thing as like a men's only small group, maybe 15, 20 people monthly. And then we decided to do it at the assemblage. Mm. And now we get anywhere between 75 to 100 people there and it's co-ed. Yeah. Awesome. And that's really cool because women, we actually get more women at these events than we get guys Yeah, because they want to kind of figure out what's going on. And the guys that have been to this have been, so we were worried about guys not opening up as much because women are going to be there yeah. back into the performance territory. Yeah. But we've seen the opposite and guys are really bringing the stuff that is concerning to them. And the women are there to provide wisdom, not, not bashing, not blaming, but they're there to understand and provide wisdom. And we set that container. And so to answer your, your, the question of like, where do we start to do this stuff at? Like we can do, we can listen to podcasts, we can watch books, we can do videos, we can do all that. But my feeling on this is that personal development, that's what we're talking about by yourself is like slow. It's shallow and incomplete. Yeah. So get with a group of dudes. I, I go to, I have a men's group that we get together every Monday night. And the, and this is going to sound wild to guys if they haven't done it before, but our entire purpose of that men's group is to practice feeling our feelings. Yeah. And that's wild. And I've seen a tra my trajectory in terms of understanding myself and getting to the depth of what actually matters has, has been exponential compared to when I was just reading books, watching videos, listening to podcasts. Well, it's, it's so interesting. Like for a lot of my clients or the guys that come to the men's, men's weekend, um, Oftentimes it's like, well, what's the, <laughs> I can't tell you actually how often I get this question now that I think about it. What's the ROI of me actually understanding my feelings? What's the ROI of me actually understanding my emotions? And what I usually talk about is imagine, because uh, a lot of my clients are like in finance or real estate or, you know, uh, executives, entrepreneurs. And it's like, imagine that you had a board of directors for your company and you didn't listen to half of them. You only listen to one side. The other side still has a fucking vote when it comes to what happens with the company. But you only listen to one side and you only let one side speak and you only talk to that one side and that one side is your brain. And the other side still yells and shouts and speaks and says things, but you completely ignore that. Would you ever do that in your company? Would you ever do that in your business? No, because you know that that one side would raise hell. It would try and tear apart your business. It would try and take over the business and it would cause complete havoc because it's a data set that you're not listening to. It's a data set that you're just not bothering to understand or, or, or uh, appreciate or integrate. And so when it comes to emotional intelligence and actually starting to do some of this work, it's like, there's, there's a good analogy, right? There's, and the ROI of that is kind of a no brainer, right? I think, <laughs> it's I think the, the ROI of that is like, well, your company actually functions properly yeah. because the whole board is now making executive decisions together unanimously. And that's how our system works. That's how our identity works. That's how our ego works. And, and when we don't listen to a huge part of ourselves, it causes complete chaos yeah. until, and it has all of these mechanisms, right? And then we start trying to drink to numb it out and do all these blah, 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 and porn and whatever. But until we actually start to tune into it and listen to it and appreciate it and and learn to read that data, it's going to be a nightmare for a little while. And so I love what you're saying because, it, you know, human beings are just mirrors for us. And mm. so when we can get around them and and start to say, you know, challenging each other or men need to challenge <laughs> generally, um, that's a huge piece. So I, I really appreciate that. I, I love that analogy. Uh, it really, it really hits home with me. And I had a fear when I started tapping into my emotions because it's just data, as you described, it's just, it just happens to be a different type of data. When I started, I had some fear around, wait a second, am I losing control? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not in control of my emotions. Therefore, like, what do I got to do with it? Right. And there's a guy, he's an author, his name's Michael Singer. He's written Untethered Soul. He's written a couple other very famous books. And something he talks about is that when we have these emotions, whether it's anger or frustration or jealousy, whatever it may be, like we have a choice. We, we can suppress it, which I was a black belt at. <laughs> suppressing all. I am a ninja at suppressing. That's right. <laughs> really good at that. Or we can express it. Yeah. Right. And that can come out into the world in the really wonky ways. And we start creating our worlds that we actually don't want to live into. Yeah. Or we have another option where we can just like recognize it and say, oh, there's that anger. Yeah. That's interesting. Like what's behind that? Yeah. And then just sit into it for and it literally takes seconds and just release it and see what happens. And we can do that. And I try to do that 
all day long, every single day. And it's been just a, an amazing practice. And part of my morning routine is a meditation. And my only mantra that I say with is the purpose of my life is to let go of my stuff. Mm. And that's it. And that has released the fear that I had of being this like wild dude that's all over the place and can't get shit done because my emotions are all over the place. So that integration piece is really, really important. Well, I think a lot of guys have built their lives around being emotionally numb. And there is a, a, a perception. I hear this from a lot of clients. I am worried. This is like the story that they tell themselves. I'm worried that if I start feeling or I start expressing myself, I won't be able to perform in my work. I won't be able to continue to be logical. I won't be able to continue to be rational. I won't be able to continue to perform in the way that I perform that provides for my family. And so suddenly feeling into the feels becomes the like single biggest threat that could bring down the castle, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, okay, well, you don't have to do it all at once. <laughs> like you also don't have to do it all at once. We can do this piece by piece and, and train in how to actually do that. And I feel like that is what a huge amount of men are actually starting to embark on is like, we are relearning how to feel together as a collective, you know, individually, but as a collective mm -hmm. and learning the art of emotional intelligence. I want to talk about penises. Oh, my favorite topic. Yeah. Let's talk dicks. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about discerning dick. Oh, thank God. They're going to ask me about my dick. Yeah. Like, I'd rather <laughs> leave it out. Can we not? Or leave it in. <laughs> or leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we, 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 there's no way to get out of this there's, without any puns. No, no so, it's just like uh, puns. We'll, we'll just roll with anyways, it. Yeah. Um, discerning dick. Right. So as I mentioned before, my friend Dominic Cortuccio and I were getting together Saturdays for coffee talking about dick stuff. And he said he, he turned 40 and he had reached out to a group on Facebook called the Kaleidoscope. And he said, hey, I'm starting to lose what I used to have as I'm getting a little bit older. Like, I feel like my libido is getting low and I don't want to go to the blue pill. So do you have any suggestions on things I should do? And that community like threw all kind of tantra and then the muscle and multi-orgasmic man, like all Eagles. kinds of stuff, Kegels and like, yeah, all of it, all the sex stuff, right? And so he started looking into this and he's got his testosterone checked and everything else. And he came up to me and he said, hey, Brian, like the conversations we've been having have been interesting. I found out a whole bunch of stuff. I think the men in our group would like to hear some of this. And we said, that's crazy. I think I'm, I think I want to call this thing the discerning dick. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Why discerning? <laughs> so that's a horrible idea. I, like, I would never want to go to an event called the discerning dick. I'm certainly not going to like it on Facebook. That's for damn sure. People might see that. People are definitely going to see it. Um, discerning dick. Because what, what he, what he this, this is the analogy he likes to use, is that guys, like we are born with this like, potential like, weapon of mass destruction between our legs. And we sure we have the 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 uh, we can create with our dicks, but we can also like it can take us. It can lead us in a lot of other different directions, right? As That's I use why my it's hand, called uh, the, the second brain, I think. Second brain, exactly. Uh -huh. And so we have this thing dangling between our legs that is like driving a lot of our behaviors and decisions. We don't really know about it. It didn't come with a manual. And so, like, when's the last time that we checked in with our dick and said, "Wait a second, why do I do things? What triggers me to masturbate? Like, why am I watching the porn that I'm watching? Oh, that's interesting." Like, why am I so obsessed with like this one thing with this one woman? And so, so we, we ask all those types of questions at the discerning dick really to, it, yeah, yes, we talk about dick. Yes, we talk about sex, but it's, it's really, it's a Trojan horse, right? Into this personal development work, because anything that, that we're talking about in, as relation to, to the dick usually is a relationship to self or other. So, so that's a lot of what we talk about is, is the stuff that, as I said before, it's like the locker room talk if we were telling the truth. What do you think most men don't usually talk about when it comes to their penis? I know that's sort of like a, a weird question. I think that I think that most guys have a fear of being seen flaccid. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's like a weird thing. I played hockey growing up, and so like all the guys like we would all walk around naked, mm -hmm. right? You're just like in the change room, and like that seemed like such a, a strange thing as an adult. Like it doesn't happen. Like outside of sports, it doesn't happen. Like you mm -hmm. just don't really see naked bodies. Yeah. Um, but you also definitely don't see other naked flaccid penises. And even in even in front of like women, it's like, yeah, it's like all of a sudden like, I, want, I want to be hard now. Yeah. Like before, preferably before it comes out. Yeah. Don't look especially at it. for the growers in the room. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the showers, they're like, that's okay. Showers, like let me let me show you my yeah. Showers, flaccid. like this is what it's like. Yeah. Not hard. Um, why do you feel like that is? Why do you feel like? 
from from your perspective, what do you feel like guys generally don't want their normal flaccid penises to be seen? Well, think about it. Like in any other aspect of life, sports, school, there's ways to there's literally ways to like measure how you're doing. Are you getting an A or are you getting a C? All right, did you win the basketball game? Did you lose the basketball game? And the only basis of comparison that we have as guys, for the most part, especially when it comes to hard dicks, is porn. Right. And so we can, we have these like that that's just one aspect of it. We have that that's our basis of comparison. Yeah. Two women, right, who would probably have a better basis of comparison than we do as guys. <laughs> right? Sometimes they come from a hurtful place too. Yeah. And they can say stuff. I mean, I had I had a situation in high school where I was I had never I was a virgin. I'd never had a blowjob before. I had been practicing for years through masturbation, just ready for this like perfect moment. <laughs> right. When the perfect moment came, it was like Wah. I was like and she looked at me and said, well, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like that's the most embarrassing thing. She's going to tell everybody in the entire school, like I'm going to be an outcast right. and this is never happening again. Right. And that, and that's a, that's a dangerous way to go. But like, I feel like that flaccid penis piece is like almost the secret. Like I want to show you my full performance staff. Yeah. So, so interesting. And it's the, the crazy thing to me is that now a lot of the research that's coming out around pornography is saying that most boys are starting to watch porn between the ages of 8 and 11, right. which is absolutely fucking insane to me. So, you know, like Vienna and I are talking about having kids. And before I saw that data, I was like, oh, yeah, probably like 8 to 10, I'll need to start talking to my son if we have a son. And then I heard this data. And I was like, oh, my God, like, do I need to talk to my child at like the age of like six or seven about sex and and what they're like, what? This is nuts. But but imagine this, like the, another analogy. Uh, imagine like seeing porn as a nine year old or a 10 year old and knowing that you're going to go do that. That's like saying I'm going to I want to play basketball. And for the very first time, seeing basketball played by NBA stars. Exactly. Or, yeah. Uh, and, and, and NBA. Did I say NBA or NBA? NBA? NBA. You nail it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then feeling like you need to live up to that level of performance, right? And maybe you don't even, maybe you just don't have that equipment, right? Because obviously most of the time, the guys that are in porn are like, not average. Yeah, they're, they're, they're professionals for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're professionals for yeah. a reason. And so suddenly the expectation before you've, you know, ever even kissed someone else or been intimate with someone else, the expectation is already set that you have to perform like that or be like that in order to uh, even, you know, please someone in the way that you ultimately want to. And that's such a, a, a shameful place to be but also such a debilitating and pressured place to be. So how do, how, how do we as men start to shift that narrative? Because I would imagine that a lot of guys grew up in, you know, especially that listen to this show, grew up in like the you know, late 70s and 80s. The, two, and the 2D porn version. They, they grew up with the porn like loading line by line. Right. You know, the photos just like loading line by line. We had the line. trifold that came the out of the magazine. <laughs> the trifold out of the, yeah, out of the Playboy that had the extra page. Um, but, but we've sort of grown up in this new era, right? Where before that didn't exist, right? Like my dad didn't grow up being able to access pornography on a cell phone right? It just didn't exist. So for the guys that have gone through this, how do we start to shift that relationship to sex and sexuality and, and the expectations that are put on us? Yeah. A lot, I get a lot of questions from parents that, and now I'll say, I'm not a parent, uh, but I do talk to a lot of parents about this subject. And they ask questions like, well, when is the right time to have the conversation? Um, what should the conversation include? And I, my, my thoughts on this, and I've, I've talked to a lot, of, a lot of experts in this field, is the talk doesn't happen. First of all, it's not a talk. That's the first thing. It's not a talk. Yeah. Not one talk. It's yeah. not like you're like said so P and V and uh, that's what happens. And thank you very much. Uh, check the box on the parent thing. Right. It's not a talk. Yeah. Uh, and when the talk starts is way before you even have the kid. Because what I find is a lot of people that are asking me this have a lot of uncomfortabilities with intimacy and sex themselves. Yes. And no matter what they say, the kid is going to be able to read. And understand if their parents are uncomfortable with it. And so the first thing is just how are you modeling as yeah. a parent? So we're going back to like free, like pre like Lamaze class and getting comfortable <laughs> with yourself and sexuality class should be like right next to each other, even though you're already pregnant. So that's, that's one. So modeling the right behavior. Two is even at a very, very young age, one, two, three years old, we can start to teach some of the fundamentals about creating boundaries, mm. about what touch looks like. 
how to ask for things, how to even compliment people, right? That all leads to this really healthy discussion so that all of a sudden you're not popping the cork off this thing that's been shooken up for, for 10 years and we're having the sex talk. Yeah. Right now, at some point in time, certainly we're going to have like, what does it look like? What does intercourse look like? But by that time, as you're talking through all of this, at that time, it's a natural progression. Mm. And I think to to answer your question about how do we start to get over some of this? I think that's the long term solution. I think that for the people that are already our age or older, maybe just a little bit younger, I think we need to relook at what are our beliefs? Mm. Where did those beliefs come from? And I love that. I'm going to check out that book that, that you'd mentioned on. Un, unwanted unwanted yeah. yeah because i find that real i find that fascinating um so i think it's looking at our behaviors looking at our beliefs and taking a couple minutes to to check in on what our patterns are yeah and then saying well what do we want right i went to the the tony robbins unleash the power within i did that a couple of years ago and a really powerful part of that is like looking at old beliefs and creating what we have created with that old belief and now what are the new beliefs that we want to create the new life mm. and i think for guys like we don't think enough about what we actually want from a relationship and sex standpoint, because we don't want to address the fact that maybe we don't have it perfect and maybe our performance isn't that great. Yeah. So I think just, just being real with it um, and knowing that that can also be a ton of fun. And guys, listen, guys, guys that are listening, if you bring this, to, if you're single, even if you're not single, shit, do this with your wife. This is great. Bring this to them. Yeah. Offer the conversation, ask the question, and you will be shocked. You'll be shocked at how you stand above or how your relationship changes just because you're talking about it and you're not being the guy that tries to have it all figured out. Yeah, that's that's usually what I say is like I spoke at a all boys military college prep Catholic high school. Ooh, in, you, you hit all the buttons wow. in in Minnesota. Um, in Minnesota, you hit another yeah, one in in November, <laughs> and it was really interesting because I spoke to the boys. It was 620 boys, something like that. I spoke to them first thing in the morning, and I talked about porn. And I talked about testosterone and sex and how it impacts us. And then later on that night, I spoke to parents and it was a huge question. It's like, how do we talk to our boys about sex? And my rebuttal was, how do you talk to each other about sex? Oh, like, how, how do you talk to your partner about sex? How do you talk to yourself about sex? Because like you're saying, we model those things for our kids. And if we <clears throat> struggle to have the conversations with our partner, then you know, our, our kid is definitely going to be a challenge. And so where do we practice? Well, we should be practicing with our partner. So let's, let's do that. Like, let's dive in, you know, and, and start to have those types of conversations of, um, you know, this is something that we cover in the relationship reset. And I mean, it's something that Vienna and I talk about all the time. It's, it's hugely, hugely important. So, okay. What, uh, we're, I think we have to wrap up here okay. soon. And kind of one more indicator yeah. really, really quick. This yeah. is, then this is a fun one and a simple one. Take a look at the jokes you're telling. Because if the jokes you're telling are around me too, and they're around your dick and you're around this and that, like often it's a time, like a way to mask our uncomfortability with what's going on in our reality. Yeah. And so jokes are a really good way to, to figure out where you're at in the barometer. Mm. If guys want to start to have a more positive, healthy relationship with their penis, where do they start? Because I think that most guys probably would not have ever even thought of that. It's like, well, it's just there. Right. And sometimes it wants attention and other times it wants a lot of attention. But I don't think that most men have really given a consideration of having any sort of like a relationship to their dick. And so, you know, in the conversations that you've had with discerning dick, what have been some of the things that have come forward out of that, that you might suggest or, or put out to the audience? Yeah. I, th I think the first one is, is you used the word here a second ago, but like just give it some attention. And by the attention, I don't mean jerking it off or yeah. <laughs> making it come or doing, doing the things that you've been doing your entire life, but start to pick up some literature on it. Start to get comfortable with some of the conversations that you're typically not having with a partner or with, with somebody that, that you're comfortable talking with, with a friend. And we talked a lot about the what's in the vault and having these conversations with friends. I think that is just a really simple place to start. We mentioned the multi-orgasmic man to understand like how literally the biology and the energy of all of this sex stuff works. And I promise you there is gold in that book. Uh, when I found out that Dominic had had that book four years prior to me getting it, I was really pissed off with him because like, how did you not, how did you not give me this superhero yeah, power? You yeah. Did. What have you been, what have you been doing? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very little. 
Um, so I think I think that's at least the first place to start in New York. I feel like we're really lucky here in New York because we do have spaces like the Discerning Dick that are public that you can connect with other people that have that. Um, you can go to our website, doinnerwork.com, see when the next event is. Awesome. Um, but the really simple stuff is like give it some attention, learn how it actually works multi-orgasmic man start having conversations with friends about it and i promise those conversations are going to be interesting to say the least and uh, yeah at the least they'll be funny <laughs> at the very least <laughs> the least will be hilarious uh awesome brian well thanks so much for coming on the man talk show with me today connor love 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 what you're doing really appreciate you having me on thank you thanks man and we'll uh we'll we'll probably have to do this again at some point and yeah it's just oh, we're, just, we're just touching the surface of the dick i know i know this, yeah it, that was just a tip <laughs> just a tip oh, that's a good just like Nailed all day it. long just all day long oh my gosh <laughs> uh hopefully hopefully people are listening to this podcast just like laughing and shaking their heads um well listen for everybody else that's out there listening to this thanks so much for tuning in with us today don't forget to like and subscribe on itunes or spotify or google play or stitcher or whatever platform you are on youtube YouTube, uh, whatever you are tuning into us on today. Uh, and don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast episode with just one person. Uh, maybe share it with your partner if you want to spark a good dialogue or give them some context to what goes on in your world. And maybe this episode can be the thing that starts, starts the conversation. Or share it with a friend that you want to have an awkward conversation with because that might just be hilarious. Uh, send it to a buddy and be like, hey, listen to this episode <laughs> with zero context. Just be like, it's amazing. Send it to them. It'll it'll be like the gift that they open up and ha- you know just crack up. Uh, so I'm going to offer that to you. Uh, and don't forget to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you do listen to us on. And uh, until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. 